I'm Julie. Welcome to Mom Made Plans Podcast. This is where we use self-awareness to create practical systems to be more intentional and productive with our time. And we stay humble by remembering God is in control. Today on the podcast, I have a super sweet guest, Anya Dunham, bringing us much needed insight in how to handle our kids' emotions and the not so desirable behavior that often comes along with those big emotions. So get ready to take notes and get all the lessons here for how to make parenting a little bit easier today. Okay, welcome everyone to the podcast. I have a guest with us today and I'm super excited to talk about this subject. It's always coming back to the root of understanding biologically what what's going through our kids, what they're capable of at different ages and what they can do and understanding their emotions and just really taking out some of our frustration as moms in that we can just better understand what's happening with our kids and their emotions and connecting with them and just kind of go through this journey a little bit easier. Like it's definitely still hard doing this intentional style, but I think way more rewarding and less unnecessary frustration. So I hope today that you can walk away with some really practical insight and revelation and to understand the importance of like naming our kids emotions and things like that. But then that next step of, but what do we do with their behavior? (laughs) How do we go from naming to that? And that's where I'm kind of at in my journey. So I'm really excited to have Anya here today to, to help us work through this whole process. So without further ado, please introduce yourself and tell us a little about you. Thank you, Julie. It's uh, great to be here today. Um, so my name is Anya Dunham, and I am a mom to um, three kids, two in elementary school and a toddler. So life's busy in, in all the good ways and all the challenging ways, too. Yes. Um, I have a PhD in biology, and in my day job, I am a research scientist uh, studying ecology. And so when uh, my first baby was born, um, almost 12 years ago now, um, I thought that I was really well prepared because by that time I spent about 10 years in the lab and in the field doing biological research. I've taught courses. I've read a lot of parenting books. But then when my daughter was actually here, um, what I realized is that not, we can't really ever be fully prepared for that experience, for the love that comes, but also some of that overwhelm and that sense of responsibility that comes when we first become moms. And I can only imagine how intense it must have felt for you when you had not one baby, but two babies at once. <laughs> yes, overwhelm is a good word. <laughs> yeah. Sort of this unmoored feeling and wanting to do the absolute best for our kids, right? And um, I think at least for me, one of the reasons for that overwhelm was that there was so much parenting advice out there, so much, and a lot of it seemed to contradict. Um, some pieces of advice would contradict other pieces of advice, but also even sometimes itself. And so that was not helpful. And so what I decided to do, which was what I knew best, is I went back to the research um, and I looked at many hundreds of scientific papers on child development, uh, focusing, in my case, on baby's first year. 
And uh, so f- from that, um, my book was born. It's called Baby Ecology, and it sort of brings out all the important pieces of information um, from science that can really help new parents. So not just things that are true, but also things that are helpful and useful um, in, in baby's first year. And so, uh, but a lot of the research that I read um, in writing my book is also can be really helpful um, for parents of toddlers and even older children, because uh, what I found is that sort of the the ways that children learn about the world and about emotions and um, sort of and the language and about the people around them, th- those mechanism mechanisms really remain the same. Like our Children's world expands and becomes more complex as they grow, but really the the mechanisms are the same. And so I guess what I wanted to talk about today is some of the cool things that I found about how our children learn about emotions and then what we can do with that knowledge to help manage what we think of as challenging behaviors in young children, just to make life a bit easier for, for our kids and for ourselves. Yes. I, uh, yes, <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> and this, you guys, like, she has so much wisdom here. Just to recap, like, she's put in the work, PhD, and like, researching, really understanding the, how our kids' brains work and figure out emotions. Like, this is so helpful when, when, as you mentioned, like, just the bombardment of so much parenting tips and they're all over the place. To just understand, like, hey, what can they literally understand, not understand? Like, how are they connecting is so helpful to know. So, yeah, let's get into some of this nitty-gritty good stuff. And I I know I've seen a lot of in the parenting things about that it's important to, like, name the emotions. Like, when your kid is freaking out. So, whether they are a baby, I know your specialty is, especially in the younger ones, but as you mentioned, I think this applies kind of across, but as they're, whether it's your baby, if you're a new mom listening or toddler or older, like when they're having a moment <laughs> and having a meltdown and all the emotions that we're supposed to like name that emotion. So I'd love to hear from your perspective, like why, why that's important. Like, why do we do that? Yeah. So I think exactly. I think thinking about, um, challenges in the early years. I think strong emotions is one of the first things that comes to mind. And maybe in my mind, especially because my youngest is a toddler and there's a lot of times that um, he has strong ideas about what he wants to do, how he wants things to go. And then things maybe don't go exactly as he planned. Like he wants to carry 10 things at once. He wants me to carry 10 things after I'm, when I'm already carrying grocery bags and things like that. And then it doesn't work. And he gets so upset. And I get it because, you know, as an adult, I also get can get quite upset when things don't go as I planned, right? Sure. Um, and so I think for um, in managing and helping my toddler um, with his strong emotions, what I can try to do is first give him the space to feel what he's feeling and also help him um, to begin to understand um, his feelings and his emotions. And so naming emotions, we know from science, helps um, all of us, adults and kids, recognize and begin to understand our feelings. And as um, D- Dr. Dan Siegel, who is the author and professor of psychiatry, 
um, puts it very nicely. Um, he calls it name it to tame it. Um, mm. I quite like um, this, uh, this phrase. And so our babies begin to um, learn the words and um, begin to recognize emotions quite early, a lot, maybe earlier than most people think. So, for example, around five months old, um, they already begin extracting individual words from sentences and kind of putting them into context. Mm. And then just before they turn one, they can quite um, accurately perceive emotional expressions on their mom's faces. It seems like it has to be someone they know quite well and are used to being around, but they can not only perceive um the look on their mom's faces, even if the mom's not saying anything, but also they modify their behavior um, accordingly. So if mom's happy, they're more likely to maybe do something uh, to move. Or maybe if mom looks fearful, they're going to hold back. So they're already starting to understand that emotions exist um, and that um, there are other people around them experience emotions and that affects their world. But what they cannot do well yet is to regulate their own strong emotions. Like they're just not able to do that developmentally. And so they need us to co-regulate with them and to be their calm in the storm. Mm-hmm. And so I think one really, really important message for our kids, um, but also for us, for moms and for everyone really, is that all emotions are okay. Hey there, I'm interrupting to remind you that there's an amazing purpose-driven productivity summit happening next week, starting Monday, June 12th, 2023, that is here for all of us moms. We're all here listening to podcasts like this and doing Google searches, and we're just searching for that magic solution of how to get all the things done, right? And so I don't want you to miss this free online summit where you get the chance to listen to 15 different speakers, pour into you all the practical insights of how to do all the things in motherhood and work and really have a faith foundation as you're trying to pursue being productive. Head to the show notes and click the link to sign up right away so you don't miss there's limited windows of when you listen to each speaker. So you need to be signed up so you get access and all the information so you don't miss out on anything. So I hope to see you there and I hope you are blessed by this event. All right, now let's get back because Anya's got amazing answers for us. So here we go. And we want my kids to know that you're loved no matter what, your emotions can be felt fully and that you're safe no matter what it is that you're feeling in the moment. And so this could be a sort of our main role in the moment of that emotional storm is to connect and to support. And then after that, we can, with young kids, we can name what we think they were feeling before they can maybe articulate that themselves. So we might say, oh, it sounds like you got, you felt really angry or it looks to me like that vacuum scared you and things like that. And then with older kids, we can ask them. Um, what it is that they were feeling or thinking in the moments, and that sort of opens up that that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I think the main message there is that all emotions are okay, but of course, some actions and some behaviors are not okay. Yeah, that was one of my favorite 
So you guys, she has um, a book, Baby Ecology, and I got to see a little bit into that. And my favorite thing that caused us to connect is this idea that feelings and emotions are okay, but some actions are not. And being able to separate that and identify that. And I was like, oh, that's such a great little phrase to just remind yourself, like, when you're in the moment, the feelings are okay. (laughs) Feelings are okay. But the actions are not so that you identify, you don't crush their feelings and diminish their feelings that the feelings aren't okay because they are, but it's what they do with it. And that's, yeah, that's really where I wanted to um, um, go today. But before we get to that point, I want to just like step back and see, because you had mentioned also in, in the book that when thinking about these big emotions that they're having, that we're helping them identify, it also helps to kind of identify the root of where these behaviors are coming from. And I know you referenced kind of like three reasons they might be having these challenging behaviors. So I'd love you to just kind of give us that rundown of so that we can kind of have that awareness as well as where it's coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we all know that all behaviors have um, certain meaning, right? Like we can think of our kids' behavior as the way to let us know what's going on for them. Um, as the so instead of thinking, like I think often when something really challenging happens, we start thinking like, oh, like how do I stop this? Like how do we move past this in the moment? But it often does help to step back, especially in the long run. And think about why is this happening and what is my child trying to tell me through not maybe yet their words, but their behavior. And so my, my thoughts on this were shaped, um, by, um, my two of my favorite authors, Laura Davis and Janice Keiser in, in their book, Becoming the Parent You Want to Be, as well as earlier work by Dr. James Hines, who sort of, um, separated different reasons behind challenging behavior in young children. And so in the case of babies and toddlers and preschoolers as well, I would say, there's usually three reasons. And my my wording is slightly different from this earlier work, but it's sort of very much inspired by it. So the three reasons are um, developmental stage, difficult conditions, um, and figuring out boundaries. And so um, to begin figuring out what's happening in the moment with our children, we can ask ourselves, is this behavior sort of part and parcel of the stage my baby or child is is in? So like an example would be, say we have a four-month-old and they wake every couple of hours at night. Um, or maybe we have a preschooler who keeps asking why, and we've already answered that, and they keep asking over and over, and we feel kind of backed into a corner. <laughs> so, but those things are just completely normal. There's nothing really we should or can do about it. And it's just a case where we might adjust our expectations and take mm-hmm. care of ourselves and just wait it out. And then that challenge will be over and a new one might come in its, in its place. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that was sort of, yeah, the developmental stage one. But I think sometimes it really helps to know that something is very normal, very common, and it's just a matter of waiting a little bit. Right. And then the next question maybe is to ask ourselves, is something in my child's environment, in their surroundings, causing this behavior? So maybe there's something that is challenging for them. 
So maybe our tired baby is fussing in a crowded public space, or maybe our toddler or our preschooler is touching everything in a um, friend's house, like they're, they're grabbing all the trinkets. And so in those cases, it's just not like where they are is just not working for them. And so the best thing we can do is to remove them the best we can from that situation or to change the situation that it kind of matches where they are a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes then, sense too, yeah. just to touch on that of like, we, they're in a situation, you brought them to someone's house and they have like all these things everywhere and you're not enjoying your time because they're constantly grabbing things. And what what's the point? Like why force like keeping them in that situation where you're stressed out? And so that's a great thing that sometimes we're just, it's like an obvious like, well, duh, just leave that room. But we, we just feel like we need to, I don't know, we don't even think about it. And we're just there and we're just constantly telling them no and no and getting frustrated when we could alleviate so much stress by just helping them by removing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because otherwise no one's enjoying it and right. the, the child's not enjoying it either because they're probably feeling like, you know, how kids are, they're really good at noticing things like for example they might notice that we're upset about something but they're not that good at interpreting so they might be feeling stressed out because they're thinking like oh mom is not looking very happy and she keeps saying no and moving me around and but I really don't know what's going on so sometimes it's just the best course of action is to just go into another room go outside and just change the environment right so then the third reason which is maybe the more more challenging one sometimes to figure out is to ask ourselves, is my child testing what she can and cannot do? And I guess by testing here, I don't necessarily mean that they're testing us or testing like our patients, which it might sometimes feel like it, that that's what they're doing. But really, they're figuring out sort of the physical world and then the relationships between people. So what they might be doing is like, say, a 10-month-old might be climbing on a coffee table, even though we've said no many times. Or like maybe a preschooler doesn't want to wear a sun hat or maybe tries to hit a baby sibling. Or maybe they want to run into the streets, even though they know not to do that, right? Or they seem to know not to do that. And so this is where we need to begin setting true boundaries and limits around behavior or actions that are not okay right yeah um and this is kind of where i personally find setting boundaries doesn't come naturally to me like as a as a parent and as a as a human being not just in my role as a parent but in general um but i find like especially kind of as a parent of young kids i found that it was a hard transition because when our babies are young, we fulfill every need that they have, right? Like and that came naturally to me. I just wanted to do everything for my baby, respond to everything, and that was natural. And then as they start approaching the end of their first year and become toddlers, it's hard to begin saying no, right? Whether with our words or with our actions, because so far we've been kind of saying yes to everything <laughs> and, and now it's changing, right? Yeah. But I think what I found for myself was trying to reframe that thinking into more of understanding that now the boundaries and the limits is actually one of our baby's needs. Mm -hmm. Like that's what they need from us now is to help them 
because they're learning about what is safe and what is kind and what is acceptable and, and, you know, considerate, um, in, when you are, uh, with other people and, and out in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that was one thing that's, uh, that's really helped me to think about, um, limits and boundaries. Um, that's huge. Cause I think just that's something I had a conversation recently and, and I was, I keep like reminding myself that our job is to teach. And so usually we're just reacting and just trying to push away bad behavior and push away all the things and to be reminded that our job is to teach. And so I think this keeps coming up as a thread. And so I like we're bringing up that point that these boundaries and limits are necessary to teach. Like they literally need that, even though it doesn't, (laughs) they don't think they need it. And (laughs) their actions but it's really like that is their need that is how we teach them and repetition of displaying these boundaries over and over again is just the necessary process to teach them and I think that's so empowering and just like a relief like just almost like a, a fresh breath of air to be like okay this is this is just how it is like this is how this works like I'm not doing something wrong or like they're not listening but it's just like this is the repetition of boundaries is what this looks like and that's okay so yeah I just wanted to like pause for a second and just really sit with that idea for a minute I think that's really really powerful that that is their need from us at that point yeah and I I think I like how you put it like it's it kind of pulls us back into the teaching mindset and sort of guiding mindset as opposed to you're thinking, oh, like I really have to say no, and it's just kind of terrible, and I don't know. And then we get we get kind of stressed out and 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 worried ourselves, right? So it yeah. puts us more into that the guiding, the modeling mindset that we want to be in as parents, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. And and I think the other piece that I learned uh, from research that has been really helpful to me is understanding how babies and children and really all of us learn from patterns. So even when they're really, really little, our babies are always like the little brains are always looking for uh, patterns around them. Like for example, they might notice that when something is dropped, it falls down to the ground. So even at five months, they sort of discovered gravity all on their own, right? And then they also look for these surprise events that maybe don't fit into the pattern that they've already learned previously. So that's part of the reason that, you know, when if you give a baby or a young child a balloon, they just love it, right? Especially if it's filled with helium and it floats and it mm-hmm. doesn't fall to the ground. <laughs> so that's mind blowing for them. We don't realize. Right? Yeah. It's so neat. <laughs> and it's also really fun for, <laughs> for all ages. But but um and so i think this idea of learning through patterns and surprises is something that really helps it, to understand young children and how they think and learn um but you might wonder like what does it have to do with setting limits and boundaries and so what it is there is that um it it really underscores the importance of consistency right so um when we create a pattern or a routine that is consistent and it works for us and our children, then it's like it just makes everything easier because they're not, they can relax into it and they're not trying to figure out the limits of that, right? And so because of that, um, 
one of my favorite ways to put boundaries and limits into place is to let the environment do it for us. And I think that goes back to my scientific field, ecology, because ecology studies how uh, living things interact with one another and with their environment. And it just shows that our environment really affects us, but it can also help. So as parents, as moms, we can intentionally create the environments in our homes that actually help us um, have a more relaxed, more sort of mindful, conscious time with our kids. And so, like, you know, a simple example of that, that would be, say, a 10-month-old is climbing on that coffee table. And so instead of keeping to, like, having to say no all the time, like maybe we put it in storage or even donate it or like the coffee table, not, not the 10 month old. <laughs> <laughs> we may be tempted sometimes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'd be good clarification. But, uh, but really though, like who has time in the early years of parenthood to really like use the coffee table for their nice books or their coffee, right? The coffee's getting cold on the kitchen counter. So maybe what we need to do is think outside the box and give it to somebody else for a couple of years or, you know, put it into storage or gate it off if, if our house allows for that. And then we don't have to hold that limit because there is no more, there's no longer a problem or, you know, another example would be, say, a preschooler might dart um, into the street or into the parking lot uh, when they come out of the car. And so instead of being worried about that every time, what we could do is create a pattern where they always go into the stroller or into our arms when they come out of the car until we're safely at the park or at the grocery store. And so they get used to that. They might object at first, but they get used to that. We get used to that, and we no longer have to worry about it every time. And then we're just as as they grow, of course. And, yeah. and, be, and I know, think that's a great thing of just, again, because I loved you had mentioned the word earlier, I love expectations here. And I think that pattern is just developing those expectations. Like they now expect, like when they get out of the car, it's like we have a pattern of, where's mom's hand or where's the stroller? Like instead of road and let me just go, I'm free I'm out of the car that the pattern is they look for something key. And this was so cool to me, you guys, we had um, talked previously about before recording about this idea of patterns. And I just got really excited because it just sort of, for me, like the idea of routines and different things, I was like, Oh, patterns are just, a routine, like a form of a routine sometimes. And so I just hope that helps you guys sort of picture this as well as setting those expectations and also patterns of your routines. Like I feel like in those early years, it's all about routine of when they eat, when they sleep, all the things. And those are comforting, those patterns, those routines to them because they learn to expect that. And so whenever things change, it's just there's going to be tough transition times. But if we develop a new pattern, a new routine to support where everyone's at, it's going to help so much. So I just thought that was really cool that even babies pick up on patterns like so early. Like, it's just fascinating. <laughs> so it's never yeah. too soon or too late, you guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, I think that... um even just in my own family, in my sample of three kids, my most routine-oriented child, 
she started correcting me when we maybe missed a step in her bedtime routine because she she's like, no, money, we need to do this because yeah. that was just something that gave her that comfort and that structure at the, at the end of the day. And I guess all babies and children are different, but but just that what science can tell us about learning through patterns, I think is just in to a certain degree applies to everyone. And that's just such a helpful, it's been really helpful for me as a parent and it's one of the central ideas that runs through my book um, as well, because it comes into play in every area of life, like feeding, play, sleep, um, every every kind of part of life. And like you said, life with young children is very, very routine oriented, whether we love routine or not. But that's just sort of what, what tends to happen, right? And there is a biological reason for that. Yeah, which is so cool to understand that yeah, we're not just doing it to do it. That literally is their their need. And man, I re- you just brought up the nighttime thing. And I think that is a little convicting and eye-opening for those of us who like sometimes we don't have any super hardcore things here. There are some. And sometimes one of my kids will bring up, wait, you forgot. And so it is fascinating that sometimes we can get annoyed by like, uh, we got to do, we can't skip that step tonight. But to understand like, that is the pattern of learning and that's what brings them comfort and peace. And so I think we have more grace for our kids and more understanding when, when we have the understanding of, okay, take a breath. This is important to them. They need it. Like they're not just trying to add something else tonight. You know, that that's very insightful and, and helpful to understand. And I would love to, we've kind of gone through here a little bit of the, um, you've mentioned some of the things with the boundaries and specifics. Are there any other like practical examples that we can do? So like we know like it's helpful to name their emotion and it's helpful to maybe identify the source of this behavior or kind of what category it's coming from. And so when we're in the moment, we're working on these boundaries, but like in the moment, are there any other practical tips that can help us go from like, okay, I've just named the emotion with them. Now what do I do with this action that is less than desirable. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there are situations where we cannot have the environment hold the limits for us, right? Like, for example, if, say, a preschooler um, is hitting or taking something from a baby sibling, like we, there's not much we can do apart from separating them, which is not always possible. And so what do we do in the moment? Like, um, and I think it, again, goes back to patterns a little bit because the best thing we can do here is to be consistent um, because th- our kids are going to test their assumptions like little scientists again and again. And it might be, again, something to do with, you know, maybe climbing or dropping food from the hatred tray, or it might be something about relationships like, okay, like I managed to hit my baby brother yesterday, even though my mom says it's not okay, but I managed to do it yesterday. And so maybe I'll, can I do it today? So that's sort of something that's going to come up again and again. And I think our best bet there is to try and be as consistent and as loving as possible um, in those instances. So, for example, if they're trying to hit a baby sibling, our best bet is to consistently block and hold them and not allow for that to happen. So kind of try to intercept um, and predict that um, early on and then maybe hold them and stay with them and try to understand what it is that frustrated them because it's actually unlikely to be the baby it's probably something else and they're sort of taking that frustration out and so again we go back to letting them feel feel their feelings 
but keeping them safe and keeping others safe um, by holding that boundary. No, you cannot. I won't let you hit, you know, hit your brother and, and things like that. And so I think maybe that the last but not least piece that I find personally quite hopeful is thinking of setting boundaries and limits um, is they're not at all the same as punishment, right? Um, boundaries, it's, it's quite the opposite because um, boundaries that are in place and limits that are in place, they are kind of like guardrails on the stairs for our kids because they, they keep them comfortable. They show them that the adults are present and caring and will keep them and others safe. And so it, they sort of keep their world to a manageable size for them. And so they can relax more. And when they can relax more, and then we can relax more as well, because we sort of have a bit of a system in place and uh, a bit more confidence as moms and as parents. And so I think that's probably, I guess, my I'm thinking about sort of the main the main message that I would want people to know, um, having gone through it three times now with my kids, I, I think it goes back to just all emotions are okay, and we welcome them all, but not all behavior is, um, not all actions are. And so we can set, we can make that boundary setting, that limit setting a little bit easier for ourselves. If we let the environment do it for us, we set it up, we, we think about it, and I know that that's what a lot of your work is around that is how to how to make our life more enjoyable and more organized and more sort of more a better fit for us and our families. And I think that's that's a really important piece. And then we remember about patterns and consistency. And then we just try to be trying to be kind to uh, our kids and kind to ourselves and just continue to learn things about our kids and about ourselves and to understand to understand ourselves and each other as people. I think that's that's yes. probably the main thing. I can't agree more. I love that. Yeah, as we grow like I'm big on self awareness as well and just so yeah, awareness for ourselves as moms and parents and our reactions and our emotions and then understanding our kids better and having space for all of it. And I love you summarized so well. I just wanted to um, pull out a couple things. You guys need to have to go back and, and replay this and take in all of the reminding of kind of those three categories of the challenging behaviors of where they can come from. But a couple of things um, you had said that I think is really helpful for us to remember, like what is our child trying to tell us through their behavior? So I feel like if we can insert a pause in the moment and be like, okay, what are they actually trying to tell us? What is their actual need? Where is their frustration really coming from? It's those powerful pauses where we can just reevaluate and not just react and have better compassion and and dealing with um, the boundaries. And I, and I like that you point out that they're not punishment, that it's just facilitating that learning for them, which is repetitive, unfortunately, you guys, like it is over and over. But it makes it a little easier knowing that, though, like just knowing to expect that makes it a little better, a little more tolerable that we're like, okay, this is just how it works. And like, being able to find ways to facilitate that. And the last thing I think is just really cool. And and maybe you guys can just have this in your head of how you um, 
described kids as like little scientists. And I think that's so true. Just to remember, they are little scientists. They're out here just exploring. They're doing experiments, testing their boundaries with us and in different situations with objects and everything. And so to remember, this is a big world that they're figuring out every day and and confirming like, you, hey, they are persistent. They want to make sure they've learned the right way. They keep trying and trying and to understand. So I love like if you guys just remember your kids are little scientists and <laughs> filter everything through that, I think is amazing. And thank you so much for bringing your science background here to this to really just enlighten us and just help us kind of navigate this motherhood journey with behavior. And so I want to give you a minute to um, just share like your book goes through so much of this. So tell us like where we can get that and a little bit more about you where people can find more of your wise insight here. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, so I have a website, kidecology.com, Kid Ecology are all together. And I can also be found on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then my book, um, the full title was Baby Ecology, creating using science and intuition to create the best uh, feeding, sleep, and care and play environments for your unique baby. And it can be found on Amazon and in People have favorite places where they purchase ebooks. It can be found in pretty much all of them. And listeners can always get in touch with me either through social media or through my website. I love hearing from, from people and I love talking about my work. Um, so yeah, get in touch. Um, if you have any questions or, or insights, I would love that. Awesome. And I'll have that in the show notes, you guys, so you can just scroll down and, and find the links. So definitely connect with her and let her know any wins that you get and questions and. Yeah, we're we're going to get through this motherhood journey, finding all the ways to make it easier. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you Thank so much, you. Julie. Thank you for hanging out today on a little bit longer of an episode, but I know it was worth it. Anya brought so much helpful insight and I know I really just want to sit with honing in on that, that all emotions are okay and it's just facilitating some of these other components to help gear the actions to better behaviors that we want. But I pray you're encouraged by this and really feel like you have some powerful tools to help you on your motherhood journey. And be sure to check out the show notes for her links to go follow her and get more from her book. And then also don't forget about the Productivity Summit. That link is in the show notes as well to join in next week um, for more productivity tips. So we're covering all the bases today. All right, till next time.